Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. My friends, I was fortunate enough to be introduced to our guest today and actually had an interview with him, which we posted March 23rd of this year. It was episode 130. That's 130. That interview, I have to say, was really game-changing for me. It introduced me and those who of you have listened to it to what I believe to be the most developed and expansive program of its type, a whole health, whole person care initiative that is being launched on the national level within the Veterans Health Administration. Now, we barely got to scratch the surface in that interview, although I have to say it was a phenomenal discussion. And, and Dr. Kligler was kind enough to make time to follow up with this interview. We're going to be covering some new ground today, but we'll also do a high-level overview. So if you haven't listened to the first interview, you will absolutely be able to follow along in this interview. Having said that, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to episode 130, March 23rd of this year. It's entitled, Changing the Conversation in Healthcare Delivery. Now, before I formally introduce Dr. Clickler, I'm going to make a request of you. If you listen to the podcast and you find value in it, please rate the episode and share it with your colleagues through email, Twitter, LinkedIn, or on your listservs. It's important because doing this actually helps other people find the podcast. And I want to sincerely thank those of you who have already begun to rate the episodes and share them. I'm, I'm actually seeing this happening over the past few weeks and months. I truly appreciate you taking a moment to help spread the podcast and more importantly, to spread the word on creating a new healthcare. Now, Dr. Benjamin Kligler, is a board-certified family physician who has been working as a clinician, educator, researcher, and administrative leader in the field of complementary and integrative medicine for over 25 years. In May of 2016, he was named the National Director of the Integrative Health Coordinating Center in the Office of Patient-Centered Care and Cultural Transformation, as well as the Director of Education and Research for something called Whole Health. In May of 2020, Dr. Kligler was actually named as the Executive Director of the Office of Patient-Centered Care and Cultural Transformation. He is a Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the Icon Mount Sinai School of Medicine and was Vice Chair and Research Director of the Mount Sinai Beth Israel Department of Integrative Medicine. He's also a core faculty member of the Leadership Program in Integrative Healthcare at Duke University. Ben, it is so, so great to hear your voice again and have you on the program. How are you doing? Doing very well, Zevin. Thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. We were talking about whole health. We were talking a moment ago as we were getting on about getting out and, and traveling again, and you are going to national meetings now in integrative medicine and just uh, re-emerging, as it were. So you're, I think, just reminding me of your professional work as well. Yes, I just the whole idea of going places and seeing people in person is is uh, feels like a revolution or a revelation or something. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Well, I know how busy you are, and so grateful that you're taking a few minutes with us today. So Ben, last time you did a phenomenal job and really was eye opening to me. And I've I've since then interviewed quite a few people uh, about this and and many offline discussions, but. I would really, really appreciate you taking a moment to just give us the why. Why is this whole notion of whole person care or whole health, 
why is it so important to patients, their families, to healthcare systems, to the, to the government? Why is that? And, and if you could follow the why with a high-level description of the whole health initiative at the VA, that would be super helpful. Sure. I'd be glad to. I, I mean, I think the reason why is that we've done a great job in our healthcare system focusing on diseases, focusing on diagnosing diseases, managing diseases, uh, to a lesser degree preventing certain diseases. But we've kind of gotten to the limit of what we can do really with disease-oriented care in terms of uh, improving our actual health, improving our, our, our experience in our lives, our well-being, kind of really addressing what the whole person wants out of their life. And I think that uh, understanding has really been spreading across our whole healthcare industry in the country. All you have to do is look at uh, the expenditures in the United States on healthcare compared to other developed countries, and then look at some of our outcome measures, uh, life expectancy, and others. You know, we're we're so lagging in terms of what we get for each dollar we spend. And our theory is that a lot of why that is is we're not tapping into. Uh, one of the most powerful sources of health, which is really a person's ability to make changes in their life, to move forward in their life towards what's important to them and to really um, address what's in their way and what's keeping them from having a, a whole and, and healthy life. So I think the idea of whole health and the reason it's so important catching on is that it's it's really the, without wanting to sound so sure, but it, it it's it's really the solution um, to a lot of what has been holding our health system back. I think the other thing about it is it also gives us a, a vehicle or an avenue to uh, really uh, understand and begin to address some of the social and structural determinants of health. So if someone is unhoused or someone is suffering from racism in their workplace or whatever it might be, uh, managing their diseases just isn't enough. You have to talk to them about the issue. You have to think with them about uh, how to help address that issue because you're not going to make progress with their health uh, without rolling that part of the uh, determinants of their health into the conversation. So I think in a nutshell, that's why the idea of whole health is catching on and, and not just catching on in the VA, but really in, in many different health systems and uh, a lot of uh, employment settings in other settings in the government, including uh, NIH, where there's a real interest in research on whole person health. So I think it's really, a, I think the last time we talked, you used a word which I loved, which was yearning, that it, it really addresses a yearning that uh, both deliverers of healthcare like us and, and consumers of healthcare just have shared for quite a while, uh, just knowing Basically, what we are doing uh, is we are building out across the healthcare system, which is very large, uh, over 140 medical centers, 1,000 outpatient sites, 6 million plus active patients. We're building out an actual delivery system for bringing this concept of whole health uh, forward to our, our veterans, to our patients. And there are a number of components of that. One important dimension of it is that uh, it's not just a clinical encounter. So it's not just an encounter with your doctor or your physical therapist. It's also including things like whole health coaching, things like working with a uh, peer or what we call a whole health partner to really start a different kind of conversation, a conversation that's not about what's the matter with you, what are the problems we're going to fix today, but it's really about 
what matters to you in your life and uh, what do you, uh, how do you want to address that? What do you want to change in your life to help move closer to what matters to you? And so we're building out this uh, bigger vision of what a healthcare system can do and slowly but surely moving that across the VA to all the different clinical settings where people get care. And um, I don't want to go on too long, but uh, if that gives you the general overview that you were looking for, or if there's a dimension of it, I can, I can flesh out more, fire away. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks, Ben. That was, that was excellent. I just want to underline or underscore that shift from what's the matter with you to what matters to you. I, I just, I think that is such a fundamental transition and you were very, very clear last time that this does not exclude the clinical diseases and, and, and things like that. It's inclusive of, of that, but it really reframes the conversation. Am, am I capturing that right? Or what would you add to that? No, I'd say absolutely. And I think you make a critical point, which is it's our job to be expert and efficient at, at disease-oriented care, at diagnosing and treating diseases where we have good treatments. And in no way is this uh, uh, the intention of this to, to in any way dilute that or uh, diminish its importance. It's really just about opening up the aperture so we can see the whole person uh, and try to begin to, to really address uh, what's important to the whole person while still delivering that that high quality, really optimal evidence-based disease management. So that remains a front and center, you know, critical part of what we're trying to do. Absolutely. By the way, Ben, I really love that metaphor of opening up the aperture because I think you're right. It feels that way. So it still includes the picture you had, the, the frame you had, but now you you create that wider aperture to open it up to to this kind of whole person health and and in some sense, pushing that metaphor, you're really seeing the bigger picture, right? Right. I think, you know, in medicine, part of how we've done a lot of the progress that we have is by narrowing the aperture. So we've focused down on individual organ systems, individual organs, uh, even on particular kind of biochemical interactions within those organs. And we've done a great job, I think, um, not that we've maximized what we can get out of that, because, for example, genomics continues to narrow it even more, understanding how uh, our DNA uh, ends up determining the course of certain diseases. So I think that approach, which some would call reductionistic, or you might call it just extremely focused, you know, I think that approach continues to be important and we need to continue down that avenue. But I think what's happened is we've so much focused on that, that a lot of people feel like their healthcare system has lost sight of, you know, who is the person with that organ or that organ system. And not only who's the person, but what's the community that surrounds them? What's the environment that they live in? What's, what are the social factors that contribute to their health also? So it is really like zooming out so that you can see the whole person and then just have a better understanding of what's really uh, impacting their life and their experience in their life. Yeah, I mean, Ben, you got me, it's so much fun talking to you. You got me going now in this, in thinking in terms of metaphors, but I think we may win the battles in terms of if we just fight that very focused clinical disease orientation, but we probably, and, it, and not probably, but it sounds like we're losing the war because we're not focused and the war or the pursuit of health, because it does require, there are the, these social, like you say, and structural determinants of health are real. And they're not insignificant. In fact, they're quite relevant and quite large, as, as we know from the literature. So I think it is a both and, and it's not fluff. It's not an addition to it. It is actually part of the core work. If, if our goal is not just controlling your blood pressure, 
good. Well, actually, let me take that back. <laughs> Even if your goal is just the clinical outcome, you and I and, and people who know this area know that you're not going to achieve it just by giving the person the right medication, which is clearly necessary, but not sufficient. Right. And, and I think another example of that where you can point to uh, the impact of, of what you might consider a sort of, quote, soft or not specifically organ or disease focused factor on a, a hard outcome. If you look at the data recently on what happens when people lose their sense of purpose in life. So there's excellent data now that shows that people who have a lower sense of purpose in life compared to people who have a higher sense of purpose have two and a half times the risk of early mortality. And you know, what organ is that about? Uh, what, what particular biochemical pathway? I mean, I'm sure that that uh, loss of purpose does create certain physical or physiological changes in people that ultimately contribute to them dying earlier. But if you think about it as an overall phenomenon, what would happen if we had as part of our mandate uh, starting to talk to people about what's important to them in their life, help them reconnect with purpose. Would we then see life expectancy start to go up instead of continuing to go down, which is what it's been doing over the last few years. And, and I think part of why this has been so, um, so well received in VA and, and with the veteran population is veterans, while they are in the military, have such a strong sense of purpose. You're defending your country you're there for your fellow soldiers or sailors. You are all about the mission. Nobody has to ask you what your mission is. Mm. And then you leave the service and you're back in the big wide world that we all live in. And what often happens is that people experience suddenly uh, a lack of purpose or a confusion about what their purpose might be. And, and in many cases, that can lead them down a road to uh, mental health challenges, substance challenges, et cetera. So I think that's part of why this is a population that's particularly interested in exploring this concept. But if you think about just people in our society in general and where, where we are as a society, I think that whole concept of people being uh, given the opportunity to think about what's important to them in their life and how they can, uh, how they can reach for that, that's not something we get to do. Uh, on a regular basis. So uh, I think there's a lot of potential there. I could not agree with you more. I, and I think it's, to your point, it's clearly, it's it's quite marked with folks who've been in the military where the purpose is very, very well-defined and it's daily, very, very much explicit and known. But I think it's true, like you said, for the for the entire population, this notion of there are three things from the literature. There's people need mastery over what they're doing. They need autonomy and they need a sense of purpose. And this is what keeps people going. This is what motivates people. So I'm, I'm not surprised that a lack of purpose is associated with an increase in mortality. You could point it at, at the whole issue of burnout in healthcare, which is rampant, right? And, and somewhere between 40, 50% of, of all providers are in this sort of burnout zone. And I've seen, actually, I was just having a conversation with someone who's an expert in this area who was talking about exactly what you're saying, which is a lot of this is around losing that sense of purpose and, and the notion of reconnecting to that is, is critically important. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the same dynamic that we're talking about trying to address in the population in general is going on with our, our healthcare 
profession as well in the sense of narrowing down so that we're focused on tasks and and specific deliverables and and never having time or or being given the opportunity to step back and say why am i doing this and because in the end for the vast majority of healthcare professionals i mean yes we're doing it to make a living but we're doing it because we want to connect with people and we want to help those people have better lives and i think the most rewarding thing as a physician or any health professional is making that connection with somebody and when the system unfortunately is set up to not give us the opportunity to do that then then the end result is the same kind of burnout and 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 loss of kind of agency or or self-efficacy that you see in a lot of a lot of healthcare professionals now yeah no it makes a lot of sense you in your whole health program there there is this wheel this diagram and you have it on the website in the VA, you point the conversation or you offer individuals the opportunity to talk about different domains. Could you quickly go around that wheel and just so folks get a sense of that and actually it'd be a great reminder for me as well. Uh, and, and just for anybody who's interested, we have a nice simple website. It's va.gov slash whole health. So pretty easy to find. Uh, and that's what we call the circle of health. And basically you are at the center, you, the person, the patient, the veteran, Around you is a circle of what we like to call mindful awareness, but you could call it a lot of different things because before you can uh, really make changes or choices in your life, you have to stop and pause and see where you are. So that's kind of the first step of all this. And then around that person with their developing mindful awareness, uh, there are eight domains of self-care. Uh, so there are things like food and drink, uh, moving the body. Uh, spirit and soul, friends and family, which would be about social connection or relationships, uh, professional development, which might be about your work. And what we do is when we start this conversation with people and we have that first part of the conversation about what's important to you in your life right now, what's most important, then we do what's called walking around the circle, which you can do it uh, figuratively or you can do it literally if you have a big room. Uh, and stopping at each one of those domains and saying, am I where I need to be? Is my, uh, is my uh, current exercise regimen or how much I'm goofing around? Is it enough? Am I satisfied with it? Could I benefit from doing more? Would it help me get to what matters to me if I really increased my, my attention there? How about friends and family? Am I making enough social connections to, to keep myself healthy and happy? And so at the end of walking around the circle, ideally you come out with a few areas, could be one, could be more, where you've identified some steps you can take, some really concrete steps you can take. And then the next step is then to bring that forward and either with your health coach or with your clinical team or with your whole health partner or even on your own, you start to set goals for yourself in that arena. I'm, I'm going to uh, walk 30 minutes a day for the next uh, three weeks. And that's a smart goal. That's something you can measure. It's achievable. It's realistic. And then you take it from there. So I think the idea is we take this abstract concept of you have to take care of yourself better if you want to have a more uh, fulfilled life. And we kind of can really break it down to, well, what do you mean? What are you going to change in your life? And then the idea is that the whole health system is set up to help support people because making change is not easy. It's easy to say, and then it's it's hard to do, and it's even harder to sustain, uh, which is part of why this has to be kind of a, a a big picture and a whole system to help people uh, make those changes. 
Right. And you've built that system. And I, I think I, I walked away last time. That was one of the most remarkable things that it, it isn't just rhetoric. It isn't just something on a website. You've embedded this in the flow of care. Is that right? Yeah. And, and I think that's where we're just so fortunate to be uh, in the VA, which is both the provider of care and the payer for care because we're a, you know, a federal system. And so because we have had really visionary support from VA leadership, you know, for the last really 10 years around this concept, uh, we've been able to build out the parts of this system that are really essential. So, you know, for example, we've got hundreds of health coaches now working across the VA. It's harder to find those in external systems, partly because until recently, um, insurers were not paying for them. But because VA leadership saw this vision and decided that it was something that was a good fit for our veterans, uh, they decided that we would invest in that as part of the medical benefits package. And similarly, with a number of the complementary and integrative health approaches. So VA now covers acupuncture, guided imagery, biofeedback, hypnosis, a number of other evidence-based complementary approaches. And we've been able to do that, again, because the system has control over what gets paid for. And what that's also given us the opportunity to do is actually look at the outcomes because we have tens, hundreds of thousands of veterans using these services now because they're covered, we can then follow those people out and see what is the impact uh, in the long term of when people do engage with those services. And so that that's the other reason that VA is providing this unique environment is that the biggest challenge to seeing the long-term outcomes of many of these things has been the fact that they weren't widely accessible to people because you know health insurance, people did not have them covered. And in order to get access, you have to have them paid for. In order to understand the long-term outcomes, you have to actually be able to get the services. So we're now in a position in VA where we're tracking really hundreds of thousands of veterans now who are using these services to see what kind of impact we can see on, on outcomes in terms of their care. It's a really great opportunity. It's a unique opportunity. And I'm going to follow up on that in one second. But before we do, in terms of results and outcomes and some of the challenges in terms of measuring what some have called, and I think you've even used the term well-being and its impact. But before we do that, last time we spoke, you said, Zeb, if we distilled it down, we've got a whole system in place. We've embedded this into the electronic medical record system. So this is part of how we're going to recreate healthcare uh, into a whole person, whole health approach, as you said, not just identifying the issues, but then helping people with the, those lifestyle changes. There were two questions you said, if you boil it down, there are two questions. Could you share those two questions? Because I just thought they were profound. Yeah. So we're trying to set it up so that people are routinely asked, whether it's by their primary care doc or their physical therapist or their acupuncturist or their mental health practitioner, you know, what is most important to you in your life right now? And that can change from one week to the next or one year to the next. Uh, and then what is one thing you can do today to help, uh, get closer to whatever that is. Um, so those are the two questions that we're really uh, promoting as part of, you know, really the ongoing conversation with our patients. I don't want to pretend this is easy or magic or that it's perfect and happening everywhere, because to be honest, that requires a major mind shift for both for clinicians, uh, especially physicians, uh, but for patients too. 
you know, people aren't accustomed to that. They mm-hmm. they are used to having the healthcare system give them something or do something to them. They're not necessarily expecting it to ask them what they can do. So this is a long term shift in kind of the overall point of view on health and 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 what a healthcare system can do. And so it's really not I don't want to give the impression that it's magically transformed every encounter in the VA. We are still, mm-hmm. uh, it's a long journey. There's a lot of, of conversation and training and, and debate going on within the healthcare professional community in VA. You know, how do we make this change? Is it our job? If it's our job, how is the system going to shift to make it possible for us? And then, yeah, to be honest, it's also... Not every veteran, not every patient wants this. Mm-hmm. Many people want a more traditional approach. And the idea is we should be able to give people what's right for them. It's not about forcing people to change the conversation or to have a particular kind of conversation. It's really about making it right for each individual, which, you know, unfortunately, the standardized disease-oriented approach has not been right for many individuals. So we have to make sure mm-hmm. people that want that can get that, but people that want something different have the opportunity to get that as well. So those are the questions that are at the heart of the, the shift we're looking to make. Well, I really appreciate you taking that sort of nuanced and objective perspective on it and sharing that. It's really fascinating, this notion that if you just built a standardized whole health and you imposed it on everyone, that really wouldn't, first of all, wouldn't, wouldn't be patient-centered or customer-centered. And to your point, I, I mean, at one point in my life, it may be front and center and critically important, but at another point in my life or time, it, it, it may not be. And so having that option of whether to explore that or not, I think is really makes so much sense. I agree. It's got to be about what's important to the individual at this moment. That has to be where we start. Yeah, yeah. And I love those two questions, by the way. I just, I really, really do. It's just so appealing. One of the things I also appreciate about about you, Ben, and and the approach it sounds like you and your colleagues are taking is, is in fact a evidence-based medicine approach. And obviously you come from a not only clinical background, but a research and education background. You, you've been involved in the academics of integrative medicine and the study of it. You still are, you're going to national meetings now in person. And one thing we touched upon but did not actually discuss last time was this issue of, and if you could revisit what sorts of results or outcomes are you looking to achieve? Are you able to measure? And you yourself have talked about the challenge of, of measuring well-being. And I put that in quotes. And I, a lot of people talk about it. A lot of people throw those words around. There's a lot of initiatives going on, but I really, really appreciate and respect the I think the approach I hear you taking, which is this has to be evidence-based. We have to build this with a, a research base in mind and, and evidence in mind. First of all, why is that important to you and to the VA to be so focused on making sure you know exactly what you're doing and measuring it? And then what, what are some of the challenges and what are some of the successes in terms of the results and outcomes you've been able to measure? Yeah, that's this is something I, I dream about at night and and uh, yeah, d- d- walk around thinking about all day. I mean, I think the why is easy. It's taxpayer dollars and it's a population that is unbelievably deserving. I mean, not that everybody isn't, but 
people who've given years of service to the country and made sacrifices like like many veterans have, you know, we have to do the right thing. And and doing the right thing means not just doing what you think is the right thing or what the guy next to you thinks is the right thing, but trying to see what is the impact. So the VA in general has been quite focused for a long time on being what they call a learning healthcare system, which basically means you try an innovation, you study the impact, and then depending on what you see, you continue that into innovation as it is, you shift it in a certain direction, or you give it up because it wasn't making a difference. So I think that mandate is really part of how the VA does business. And because VA is also not a for-profit system, we don't have to be confused by what I think happens in many academic uh, private sector settings, which is, okay, it may or may not be the right thing, but it makes an awful lot of revenue for the health system. And, you know, that can be very confusing, I think, to, to decision makers. And so we don't have to worry about that, fortunately. So, I mean, I think that's the why. Uh, in terms of, you know, what are we actually looking at? We're, we've thrown out a pretty wide net because we really don't know yet, because this is a relatively new approach, or at least new to apply it on this kind of scale, we don't know entirely where we're going to see the impact. So we're looking at a number of different things. We're looking at what we would call patient-reported outcomes, which are things like quality of life and pain and stress. We're looking at cost avoidance or cost outcomes, and I'll say a bit more about that in a second. Uh, we're looking at the impact on staff, you know, what does it do to uh, employee burnout, to staff turnover? And we're looking from also the other, we're looking at the impact on specific diseases. So what happens to people's blood pressure? What happens to people's uh, diabetes uh, markers when they engage in whole health? And the big picture approach for the most part is that we're comparing groups of veterans who are choosing to use whole health to groups of veterans who aren't. Now, right off the bat, you can see from a scientific point of view, that's that's a, there's a problem with that, which is that um, the groups of people who choose whole health may be intrinsically different from the groups of people who don't. So if they're having good outcomes, maybe it's because they're different to begin with, not because of what we're doing. And that's almost unavoidable uh, because we're looking at this in a real world setting. We're not going to randomly say, okay, you get whole health and you don't, because that really wouldn't be ethical at this point. So we do have the challenge of having to find uh, statistical and scientific strategies for trying to get rid of as much of that potential bias or confounding as, as we can. And luckily, we have some unbelievable health services researchers in VA who are doing that work with us. So in terms of what have we found, very early on, we found something that I think has been very important to the system, which is that veterans who are choosing, veterans with pain, who are choosing to use whole health approaches are able to decrease their overall opioid dose three and a half times as fast or three and a half times as much as the average veteran. So on the whole, average opioid dose is decreasing because of the awareness that has grown about the dangers of, of high doses of opioids. But when you look at the population that's engaging in whole health, they are much more successful in getting down to a lower and safer dose of opioids or in getting off entirely uh, than the population in general. So that was something we found early on and I think has been very important to decision makers. And just to be clear, we're not saying everybody should be off opioids because some people with chronic pain, we know it is the right thing, but, but we also know it's much safer to use a lower dose if you can manage that. 
So that was one outcome that I think has been very important. Uh, another thing we found recently uh, was that uh, veterans with a uh, low back pain who use whole health end up requiring a significantly lower number of what we called invasive spine procedures over the subsequent 18 months. So we looked at the rates of epidural injections, low back surgeries, and implanted uh, stimulator devices in veterans who used whole health versus veterans who didn't, and found, depending on which procedure you're talking about, between a 20 and 40% decrease in the number of procedures required once people were engaged in whole health. So that's important both from a cost point of view and from a suffering point of view. In other words, who wants to have back surgery if you can do something else? And who wants to potentially have the complications associated with it or with an epidural? Or, you know, it's good to have access to those things, but we really only want to use them when we need to. So that's another area we found some really exciting findings. And then, and then overall, we have found improvements in physical quality of life, uh, mental health quality of life, uh, improvements in pain. Uh, and these are kind of across the board in uh, veterans who are using whole health. So we found a lot of a lot of domains. We haven't found yet a lot of specific evidence of impact on what you might call disease-oriented measures. So things like cholesterol levels or hemoglobin A1C in people with diabetes. We're looking at that. We really haven't seen that yet. Uh, and it's interesting to speculate as to whether we will or not. Um, to me, if this particular intervention doesn't improve your blood sugar, but it improves your overall quality of life, you can take less opioids and you're you know, feeling better, that's still pretty good success. So seeing a lot of positive outcomes. You know, in terms of the challenges, I think the hardest part is how do we measure things like, do you have more purpose in your life now? Or, you know, how is your life overall? Okay, so you have less pain, you have slightly better physical health, but is that the whole picture or is there more? And so there's this concept of basically well-being. Now, physical and mental health are important parts of well-being, but they're not the whole thing. Well-being is like you ask somebody the question, how is your life right now? Uh, are you satisfied with your life? And that's not a question we're accustomed to answer. And then we also don't necessarily know what to do with the answers when we have them. So basically a big challenge we have now, which we're really working on with our, our research colleagues is what are the meaningful questions to ask people uh, about what's changing about their well-being? So I'll just say a tiny bit more about this. We have one particular measure that's called the well-being sign, which is we use that term because it's like the vital signs, you know, where you, you're used to being asked this as part of routine care. So the well-being sign says, ask the veteran to focus on uh, what the most important uh, things for them to do in their life at this stage are. It could be your, uh, your job, could be your health, your family, your finances, your leisure activities. So what's most important to you? And then over the last three months, have you been satisfied? Have you been functioning well? Have you been fully engaged? in those roles. So this is what we might call role-related well-being. But for us, it's more about, okay, what matters to you most in your life and how are you doing with that? Because that's ultimately what we wanna uh, have an impact on. So we're working on getting that particular question out into routine clinical care in the VA and thinking that's gonna be an important measure down the road. We're still early on with that. 
Wow, that was phenomenal, just the way you covered all of that. And again, thank you for being so transparent about where you are seeing evidence in terms of the reduction in pain medication, the reduction in spinal surgeries and other procedures, which quite honestly, everyone is chasing that because there's so much overutilization. And to your point, there are consequences to doing it, especially if it, it can be avoided. Where else are you seeing this happening? Clearly the VA, to me, it seems like it's leading. Is there anyone else that you're aware of that is even close to what the Veterans Health Administration is doing in the domain of whole health? There, there are definitely pieces of this happening in other healthcare systems. I'm not aware of anywhere that it's happening with such a large scale commitment from you know, the system leadership. We do actually have an ongoing study going on basically at the, at the National Academy of Medicine there's an expert panel that's working right now this year to uh, basically throw out a really wide net uh, across healthcare systems and try to understand who is doing either something similar or, or parts of the system. How are they doing it? What kind of outcomes are they looking at? What kind of financing is allowing it to be possible? And, and that committee, that panel is going to be producing a report, which will be you know a National Academy of Medicine consensus report on uh, models of a whole person care, basically. And that report's going to come out, I think, about uh, eight or nine months from now. And that will give us kind of a, a pretty, a hopefully fairly complete picture of what's going on elsewhere. Because I think we all need to learn from each other. I think, you know, we are doing it this one way in the VA because this is how we've kind of developed it. And this is how the field has told us uh, it's going to be possible to implement it. But there could be lots of different ways of tackling a lot of these questions, and we need to really look at, at all the different avenues. And it could be that for different populations, uh, different approaches are going to be more effective. Maybe there's some populations where the role of the, the peer or the community health worker or the whole health partner is really front and center the most important. And maybe there's other populations where it, it's more important to have access to some of the complementary therapies or to health coaching, you know, there's still so much to learn. But I do think this is something that's, that's really getting traction across uh, the healthcare industry in general. We still have a long way to go. And a lot of why we have a long way to go is because the incentives for healthcare organizations are still not fully aligned to encourage a focus on this, right? They're still encouraging lots of procedures, lots of high-tech interventions, disease-oriented outcome measures. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of work to be done to help people start to see the importance of shifting that. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I really also love before, a few minutes ago, you talked about the confusion that healthcare systems have because they're getting paid. The question, or I think the confusion you raised was, we can do some things that make money, but may not necessarily make people better versus I think the VA doesn't have that incentive, or as you put it, they don't have that confusion right. since the VA is paying for it and is, is sort of a provider, the payer, as well as the provider of care. Do you think, I mean, from my perspective, I do think that is one of, and I, I'm, I'm putting this out there as a statement, but it's a question to you. To me, it seems like the fee-for-service model, which is still the dominant payment model in our country, is maybe one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge to really adopting a whole person, a whole health, because the trickle down, as you talked about before, you also have to not just convince physicians and reframe 
the approach that physicians, clinicians, care teams, the whole culture of care delivery, but there's a small thing about compensation, right? So if you continue to pay healthcare teams and healthcare organizations for doing things that bring in revenue that are not around a whole person health, it's going to be very, very hard to convince people to do that. And so what's your take on that in terms of the whole fee-for-service versus value-based impact on whole health? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think that that model is really a, it's productivity. It's a model from industry, right? And, and mm-hmm. even the fact that we call healthcare an industry, I think is a real problem. You know, uh, people are the inputs to the healthcare industry. It's really problematic. So I do think personally that the, the solution is in value-based care, and, but not only value-based care, but value-based care where one of the explicit values is well-being or your whole person, because you can do value-based care that's just around disease-oriented measures where you're just rewarding the system for having better, you know, lipid outcomes. And and that's a step in the right direction, but we really need value-based care where whether or not you're addressing what's important to the whole person is part of what ultimately establishes whether your care is valuable and therefore whether you should get paid at a higher level. And so this is a huge thing. It means shifting how Medicare pays. It means shifting how um, some of the large industrial players <laughs> look at the whole question. But it's the only way to go. I think fee-for-service care is the reason that we have the highest expenditures and that we're 38th or 40th in life expectancy. I mean, it's a real problem. And I I don't know exactly where the the oomph or the will or the power to change that comes from, but we've certainly been talking about it now for a good long time. I mean, it it was an important part of the Affordable Care Act, and it's not a part that's been fully manifested, but I think it absolutely has to happen. Just listening to you again, having the opportunity to have spoken with you before, and I encourage listeners to really go back to episode 130, because I think it'll really be complimentary to this conversation. I, I think we're at the beginning of this era, you, you know, that famous Churchill line. It may, it may be just the end of the beginning phase here. I think you're right. I think it's a bigger issue. We could get into the whole topic of does this extend and should it extend? And, and quite honestly, I think it has to extend beyond the traditional health and human services and CMS and start to include departments of transportation and education and employment and the environment. And so healthcare, I think, has to become a much more interdependent, broader effort and engaging other institutions at the federal and state levels. But I think that what you all are doing is really opening that door by, and and again, the VHA is Veterans Health Administration, such a unique opportunity and situation and leaders like yourself and your colleagues who are really leveraging that. And I think you're really setting the argument, creating the argument and demonstrating the opportunity and the benefits of this so that others, I I suspect you really are opening the door to a whole new era of healthcare. Well, I hope so. (laughs) That's the the goal. (laughs) We'll see how quickly, we'll see how successful we are and how quickly it comes about. But VA as a healthcare system does pride itself on having a history of innovation and, and leading change in a certain way. And so I think our leaders in the system are actually looking at this as as a similar opportunity that we have an opportunity to demonstrate the impact of this kind of approach that could really have a a large 
influence outside our system as well. So, you know, that's what we're hoping for. Ben, again, I, I can't thank you enough. I know we, I've got to let you get back to opening the door and creating this new era in healthcare <laughs> delivery, <laughs> but I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's so important. I, I will say it's, it seems to me part of the work now is even just explaining it, right? And making it accessible to so many folks. I know since our conversation a few months ago, I've shared this work and it's really even challenging to tie all the arguments that you've done so elegantly together, but you're one of the world's experts in this. But for the rest of us, it's, it's challenging. All these questions come and how do you paint the picture and how do you show how the thing works and the impact and the outcome and why it's important in healthcare and all those questions. You do such a great job. And I think part of your work, it seems to me, as I've gotten to know you a little bit, is to really be sort of an emissary for this work. And you do, by the way, you do a great job with it. And, and I hope the BHA leverages you as a diplomat and an ambassador and a spokesperson for not just the initiative you're doing, but for the larger potential initiative across the country. And I know you're very interested in that as well. Well, thank you. You're too kind. And, and I think I'm super fortunate in that the people that are leading the VA now, all the way up to our secretary, are, are just really really have a vision as well of what what we could be doing and 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 this idea of whole health is is part of their vision and i think that creates an environment where we really we can talk about it and we can share the ideas and and share the learning that we're doing and you know there's a long way to go mm -hmm. but i do think it's exciting to be at the stage where we're not just talking about it we're really doing it and really trying to measure it and that is really exciting i'm really grateful for that opportunity yeah. Well, I think you just made an argument again for something I've observed over and over and over again, which is that there is no replacement for visionary humanistic leadership. And I think the VHA is a great, great example of that. And so just super excited. And it's so encouraging and so hopeful that most people look at the government and talk about the bureaucracy. And I think the VHA is completely reframing that narrative in a very, very positive, bold, courageous future-facing way. And so congratulations to you and the whole, your colleagues across the country and the leadership of the VHA. I just cannot underscore how, how important this is and how important the leadership is, yours included. So Ben, I know I gotta, I've got to let you go. As I always do, I turn to our friends and colleagues who are listening to this episode. And I, I'd like to conclude by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients. For those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients, I and we truly appreciate you for what you're doing. Recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, to families, to communities, and to our society at large. My friends, this is Zeb Neuwirth on creating a new healthcare. Until next time, be safe, be well, and wishing you whole health. <laughs>